The Hoop Collective is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to tell you about another great ESPN podcast, The Woj Pod. Get the inside scoop on all the biggest NBA news as the biggest names in the game join ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, featuring in-depth conversations, breaking news reaction and analysis, and coverage of the biggest events on the NBA calendar. The playoffs are finally here, so be sure to check it out. Follow the Woj Pod as well as the Hoop Collective wherever you get your podcasts. The Ultimate Fighter, the reality show that brings top MMA prospects together under one roof to compete for a UFC contract, is back. Stream the season premiere on Tuesday, June 1st, only on ESPN+. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Monday night. The Milwaukee Bucks have just put the finishing touches on a blowout victory over the Miami Heat. Um, put up 132 on the Heat, 132.98 to go up 2-0. Um, Nuggets, Blazers are playing right now. We decided not to wait for it. Maybe later in the series. I just, you know. I got up. At, my kid got me up at five forty-five a.m. today. What do you want from me? Michael joining, Malone does not want to hear your excuses, Wendy. <laughs> joining us from Los Angeles, that's the voice of Om Young Masuk. And make Om, sure you don't call him Mike. It's Michael, as Cassidy, you know, as our good friend Cassidy. I saw Moore. that. You know, listen, like this is this is interesting to me because I've said this on the pod before. When I met him fifteen years ago, he was Mike. He is in my phone as Mike. I have called him Mike within the last couple of years. Um, I don't want to give anything away, but I talked to him on the phone this week, and I called him Michael just to be <laughs> just to be safe. I did not want to draw the ire. Um, joining us from Naples, Florida, is our front office insider Bobby Marks. Hi, Bobby. Hey guys, how are you? I actually had a, a lady. I went to go pick up a bagel, and uh, she called me Rob. <laughs> and I actually and I actually sat there for about ten minutes with the bagel sitting on the counter because I'm thinking like who who's this Rob guy and it was it was me the whole it was me the whole time so hey you can call me Rob you can call me Bob you can call me whatever you want <laughs> oh man yeah if you could uh, you could go incognito um, so um, the and I don't not, I mean this heat game ended up not being. Uh, Tony, our producer, is a Heat fan, so he's probably very excited right now. Uh, there with the Heat laying another egg here. I don't know what there is to say about this game, guys. I mean, um, you know, Milwaukee went six of thirty-one on threes in Game One. Giannis missed six or seven free throws, had a ten-second violation, absolutely died on defense on the you know, the final play of regulation when Jimmy Butler goes right by him and they won that game uh, largely because of big plays. Obviously Chris Middleton hit the game winner and Drew Holiday made a block at the end, but Drew Holiday played well. They escaped that game. And so now they have a hot shooting game and, you know, go up 2-0. It's got to be a relief to them, you know, this series isn't over yet, etc. 
No, no series doesn't start till you win on the opposition's floor, etc. But Bobby, this has got to be a huge relief to the Bucks to take this lead um, when they had a whole bunch of question marks still on this team. Well, especially considering that game one could have went either way, how it went into overtime and, and Milwaukee kind of uh, pulled it out and the ghosts of the bubble uh, or the Orlando mm-hmm. bubble, we thought were going to resurface there and, and we would have been had two days to talk about this Milwaukee team down 1-0. And this is as good as a performance as I've, I've seen it in, a, in the playoffs since – they went up 2-0 on Toronto mm-hmm. back in, um, in 2000, 2019. And, um, you know, as you said, that the series doesn't start until you, you steal a game uh, on the road and you go back to Miami. But, I mean, this game was so long that I, I, I feel like I almost got half of the, uh, the Heat's uh, off-season article written. <laughs> uh, well, they've met the criteria, Brian and Ohm. Whenever a team is down 2-0 or 2-1, the writing, has, writing starts on the uh, – the, and that's the funny part is that then you get into that thing where like, well, you know, you know you've already written the article and you hope, well – Let's not try to get back in the series now, you know, if once yes, you already have that. It's always the personal uh, gratification. But yeah, I mean, we'll see what we'll see what fight Miami has when they when they go back home. Well, Ohm, let me tell you two differences about this series this year versus last year. So far, so far. Jimmy Butler in the two games is eight of thirty-two shooting. Okay. In this game two tonight. He only had two rebounds and four assists in 32 minutes, was four of 10. He was four of 22 in game one. He was minus 34 in 32 minutes tonight. You heard me talk about Drew Holiday in game one. Holiday tonight, 15 assists, seven rebounds, 11 points, plus 37. So... The difference I can tell you in this series, if you want to boil it down to one thing, is that Jimmy Butler is not playing like an MVP candidate at all. And Drew Holiday is playing like an all-star level guard where, you know, in replacement of Eric Bledsoe, who just frankly did not. And I know there's a whole bunch of other uh, pieces of nuance that could be said, but that's a big one uh, right there. That, 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 That switch out right there. I mean, who knew that the Heat would miss the bubble this much? First of all, besides Jimmy Butler, where is our bubble hero, Tyler Hero, gone? I mean, he was non-existent tonight. And you look at the thing, the Milwaukee Bucks, their additions from last year to this year all made an impact tonight. I mean, Drew Holiday, 15 assists. Uh, My Spartan dog, Bryn Forbes, had an unbelievable game. Six three-pointers, 22 points. Um, You know, you can see the physicality. And the toughness that P.J. Tucker and Portis bring to this team. Um, and maybe that makes a difference. I mean, first of all, look, Spo, you know he's going to get this team ready. He's already he's, – he's waiting for Bobby Marks' story to come out <laughs> so he can get his team ready. He's already got another chalkboard. But, you know, the one thing that stands out – and everybody's going to talk about the threes, the barrage of threes. But this Heat team was out-rebounded tonight 61-36. to 36. 21 offensive rebounds for Milwaukee. And I get it, the game was long gone, 
but this that's not Heat basketball. And so I know Eric Spolster is going to go back. You know him well, Wendy. You covered the Heatles. I've been around the Heat when they were when it was Knicks Heat and all those battles in the late nineties. You know, Heat culture is going to be like it's Heat versus the world when they go back to Miami. And I expect them to be much better in Game Three. But there there is so, something looked very wrong. With the Miami Heat tonight, there was no fight in them at all. Yeah, especially coming out. So many of those three-pointers that they are allowed early on. Now, look, Bryn Forbes has got to hit them. But you know, the Heat didn't have that um, that grind mentality. They were not They were not up on them. And, um, you know, the, the, the Heat were a team that underachieved in the regular season because of injuries. By the way, I think Tyler Hero, who was great in that series last year, like basically his big coming out party – against his hometown team. Um, he's three of 15, I think, in the first two games combined. So um, you're right, Olm. That's a major difference um, over year over year. And, and the Bucks are a different team. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. Um, and certainly if Milwaukee is able to win this series, they've got a preposterously difficult bracket, you know, same side of the bracket as the Nets, the potential Bucks Nets second round series is going to be one of the <clears throat> stories of the year. Who wins that series? And then, if the bracket holds, you've got the Sixers over there. Um, really, as hard of a run through the East as you could you could have. So, um, but if they're able to to keep this momentum going, it would be a huge uh, a huge lift to them. Um, I want to talk to about something that happened in the last twenty four hours that really is something that is strange to explain. And I don't know if it'll end up being a significant development in this postseason or not, but it's what happened with Donovan Mitchell. And I said this on SportsCenter tonight, Bobby, um, the series of events was laughable the, the way it happened, but because of the stakes, this is a playoff series, the start of a playoff series. It's not a laughing matter and that Donovan Mitchell would practice three consecutive days, be taken off the injury report, cleared to play, <clears throat> go through shoot-around, team goes through shoot-around, they have the game plan in, they leave to go have lunch and take their afternoon naps. Um, <clears throat> I think a uh, number of the players went to get haircuts. They're thinking about the game. And they call Donovan back in and scratch him. He's furious, fights them. So they say, no, we're going to stick with our training staff. They said, you can't go. And then after a lot of blowback, after they lose to Memphis, not even 24 hours later, like 16 hours later, they decide, oh, but you're ready to go for game two. They clear him. And Bobby, I just don't understand. Like, like if the guy is not healthy... I get it. I understand. You know, you you know, even if the player is upset that he he wants to play, you know, they I'm sure have all this data and measurements on the ankle, and they have many different ways to evaluate it. I'm not questioning, um, you know, their training staff if he they didn't think he was right, they did he wasn't right. But how could he be right on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday morning? Not be right for a playoff game Sunday uh, evening, and then be a okay. By Monday afternoon, franchise player playoff game. Bobby, I just do not understand it. And I can tell you, Donovan was furious about this. 
Well, and that's the million dollar question, right? What that if he was, you know, ruled out on Sunday and now cleared, you know, on uh, on Monday to play on a on a Wednesday game, right? Like, what's what's the difference? You know, when it when it first happened, part of me thought was, you know, what the, the mindset from Utah is that they can get a game won, and then they've got you know basically two or three more days to rest. You know, they've got probably the biggest gap from playing um, a game one and a game two, considering you're playing on Wednesday. Um, and it, it, it didn't really make, it didn't add up considering now when you learn more about the story, like a, as you mentioned, he wasn't on the injured report and the, the, the mindset going into that game was that he was part of the plan, right? Like he, you know, he wasn't on the shelf. It wasn't like they came in to shoot around on, on Sunday morning and, you know, he was questionable or they weren't sure or, or they were even were going to test um, the, the ankle out before the game. That wasn't the case. And I, I just think we're, we're in a day and age. Um, it's different than back in, you know, even five or six years ago where the training staffs carry a lot of weight. Um, they are the decision makers um, on a lot of, from an injury standpoint, and the front offices are basically at the mercy of your sports medicine slash training slash strength and conditioning um, departments. I mean, like, oh, I'm like, if, if this, that was the case when, when you were covering the Nets and Jason Kidd, like Jason Kidd probably wouldn't even, you know, the year he was basically playing with a torn ACL the year, you know, the, in 04 when he was playing in the playoffs. And I, I, there was just for an organization that is, um, you know, they, they run a great or Utah with, with Dennis Lindsay and right. Quinn. I agree. I mean, like, that's the thing, like what happened? Like where, like, and now you're, now we're in cleanup mode. You're down one zero, and you're in you're in major you're in major cleanup mode. You've got a disgruntled all star before the you know before he even steps on the court here. This has been a strange season when it comes to that. I mean, yes, first of all, you had the cold COVID thing, so there's been a lot of late scratches. But with the Clippers this season, we saw a couple times the lineup would come out half an hour before the game, and then all of a sudden Kawhi wouldn't play, Paul George wouldn't play, Marcus Morris is being held out. Uh, we saw with the Sixers with um, with Joel Embiid before playing the Bucks that all of a sudden he was good to go and he was going to play after warming up and then like right before tip off he scratched um, and maybe in those cases that was the player call with the medical team in this case the player sound, player clearly wants to play and the medical team is holding him out and usually. I might err on the side of caution with the medical team and say, okay, maybe they're protecting the player from the player. But in this case, as, as Wendy said, I mean, for him to be able to practice, not be on the injury report and be deemed look like ready to go. And he's been out for this long leading into this. It's just really bizarre, especially to see it before a game one of a playoff series. Let me say a couple of things. Cause this is my story. I've been writing this. And it's a great story. With Timmy. With, with Timmy. Um, Donovan may come back Wednesday in game two, may score 20 points. I think he's probably going to have a minute restriction, but he may score 20 points. Jazz may win. I mean, even though they lost, it was an outlier loss. Um, they, they, you know, they're a great three point shooting team, but they were 12 of like 48 on threes. <clears throat> Rudy Gobert was in terrible foul trouble, fouled out in 24 minutes, still only lost by three. So, 
a lot of, th- I mean, look, the, the Grizzlies had a good game plan and, and played fearlessly and, and uh, played well. I'm not taking anything away from them, but a lot of things went against the Jazz in this game. Um, and so Donovan could come back and they, he could play well and they could win this series in five. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen, but I will tell you this. Donovan's relationship with the organization was damaged this week. Is it damaged to a point where it can't be repaired? I'm not saying that. Is it something that they'll get past and, you know, he will just move, you know, move on and just a blip on the radar screen? Maybe. Maybe they run, maybe they're in the finals in two months and who cares? Maybe they win the next four games and it's totally forgotten. Okay. But right now, Donovan is hurting. He's really hurting the way this happened. Something else that's important. He was out five weeks, give or take. Uh, April 16th, I think the injury was. And now we're, you know, at the end of May, five, six weeks. Early on in the recovery process, he was not recovering well. And so he stopped working exclusively with the team. And he hired and brought, and he already had his own trainer. And he brought in his own trainer to begin rehabbing with that trainer. Now, this is not unheard of in the NBA. This happens all the time. Michael Jordan had his own trainer. LeBron James has had his own trainer throughout the years. Um, Dwayne Wade, who is now an owner who's dealing with this internally, um, from what I understand, had his own trainer. Um, I think Rudy Gobert has a guy that he works with. I mean, and not only him, you know, up and down the line, we see this all over the NBA, especially with star players. So that in and of itself is not that big of a deal. But the fact that he would bring him in for the first time um, as he was recovering from this injury is worrisome. And then the fact that he was on the complete opposite page with the, with the team trainers when this happened is worrisome. So regardless of what it actually means for this moment in time, what it means going forward for Donovan Mitchell and the Jazz is something to keep an eye on. And I know that he has just signed this huge contract extension. It hasn't even kicked in yet. I'm not saying anything there. I'm just saying damage was done, Bobby. Damage was done here. And um, the you know the other thing that I think is interesting is that Quinn Snyder totally ran away from this today um, when he met with the media. He was asked about it. He gave a non-answer, and then he gave a cute answer, which ended the line of questioning because Quinn Snyder is very smart. He said, well, if you've ever seen Ted Lasso, they talk about how a coach's favorite animal should be a goldfish because you forget everything 20 seconds later, and I'm going to be a goldfish. That was a beautiful answer. It got the questioner to laugh and talk about Ted Lasso. Um, But Bobby, that was Quinn Snyder running away from it too. So I think that there's a, you know, I don't think Quinn Snyder was happy about the way this went down. Well, no, I mean, in, in getting back to your point, I mean, it, it, I know when when I was in New Jersey and Brooklyn, when you had your own players bring in for rehab trainers or their own strength coach, it drove your own people crazy. I mean, it, it basically turned into a therapy session that you know you'd have your trainer and your strength coach come <laughs> in your office, and you basically had to walk them like walk them off the wall. You know, like off the ledge and explain to them like 
it's for the best of the organization and it's nothing against you. And when you have an all-star and a franchise player in Donovan Mitchell or any of these teams, like you're not going to put up barriers as far as what that player wants to do. If That's it's right. Going, if it's going to get surgery at a different doctor, then yeah, then that's something that you, you discuss. But when, especially as you mentioned, Brian, you know, if the ankle wasn't, um, you know, recovering as quickly as maybe you thought, then you look in a different direction. Well, he felt, out. I mean, who knows yeah. what's true, but he felt that way. Yeah. Then you look at it in a different direction and figure out what's best to get him on the court as, as, uh, as quick as, as, as you can. And it, it's funny. It, and it goes back to, I remember when, um, he signed that rookie max extension and we had, we, I think we had talked about it, like, right. About the option year. Yeah. It goes back. And I, you know, like, we're not saying Donovan Mitchell is going to turn come in this summer after whenever the season's over and guys can be traded and stuff like that. But it just leaves open, right? That it's not a five, it's a five-year commitment, but it's got an option year at, on, in year five. And as we know in this league, anytime a player doesn't want to be in, a, in an organization, I don't care if you're on a four or five or in an expiring contract um, and it's made public usually we know what happens, right? So, um, but it's going to be an interesting story to play out as, as we go into, uh, into, into this, uh, into this game too. This is now what two things now with Donovan Mitchell, you know, whether it was what happened with him and Rudy Gobert last year, getting over that, trying to fix that situation. And now this, and we've seen what, if a player doesn't trust the medical staff, then it, he's not going to trust the organization. We see it with Kawhi. And we see now how the Clippers organization kind of handles Kawhi. I and mean, Kawhi has his own basically medical guys, you know what I mean? And um, and they handle him uh, with gloves all the time. In this situation, this is almost the opposite, where one player thought he was ready to go and ready to play, and the organization decided to err on the side of caution, I guess. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if if that threshold has been crossed where a player does not trust the medical staff and then he's not going to trust the organization, well, we saw how it played out with Kawhi. Yeah, it's just, it's just, you know, in the NBA, and Bobby, you can speak to this, there's this thing that happens with with injuries and training where there's just this intense mistrust. And by the way, in some places it works very harmoniously. But I have been around long enough to see all kinds of stuff happen. Something just happened this week. Whoa, just story about Victor Oladipo where he quotes the doctor that just did the tendon surgery on his quad tendon. And essentially, I mean, please tell me if you think I'm stepping out of line, but the doctor who Woj quoted, who just did this surgery last week on Oladipo, basically said that the guy who performed the surgery on Victor Oladipo two years ago botched it. Um, and I'm sure that Victor Oladipo went to a renowned, respected surgeon. And I mean... You know, here's one doctor talking crap about a, another doctor on the record, Adrian Wojnarowski. Um, he didn't use his name, but I mean, if you Google, you can figure it out. And you know, this this happens, and tension happens. And um, you know, uh, uh, one team doctor, you know, a, a player doesn't recover as well, and the next player who comes along doesn't want to go to that doctor, and he goes to another doctor. Some agents are. Um, you know, they take their all their players to a certain doctor. Sometimes that doctor is known for doing surgery no matter what. Um, so, uh, 
you know, this is part of the NBA, but it's very strange for it to spill out like this. And it's also very unusual for there to be a breakdown of communication and a breakdown of all this involving the franchise player for a playoff game. That is what is most surprising. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, uh, Again, I don't think it's, you know, career defining, but it certainly could be first round defining. And remember last year, I know when the Jazz blew a 3-1 lead to the Nuggets that a whole bunch of stuff happened, uh, including Jamal Murray greatness and all kinds of stuff. But if you go back to it, and and, uh, Donovan Mitchell owned this, he had a mindless 10-second violation where he was lethargic, bringing the ball up the court uh, in Game 5 that caused a momentum swing that opened the door, and the Nuggets took it, and they ended up winning the next three games. The point is you cannot kick away a game in the playoffs and always get away with it. Sometimes you get away with it fine, but you kick a game away, um, it is not something that uh, is, is always easily recovered from. Now let's talk about the play of the week, the pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. So, Om, I want to talk a little bit about the Clippers right now. Uh, And over the years... I have seen many strange things happen in game one of playoff series. And one of my mantras, you know, if you listen to this podcast, you have to get sick of my mantras. One of my mantras is I don't overreact to game one because game one, yes, sometimes it does is very instructive for a series, but a lot of times game one is not instructive. So I'm not going to sit here and say that the Clippers are in some sort of big trouble because they lost game one to the Mavericks. But I am going to say that I hated the way they looked in that game. I hated the way they tanked at the end of the regular season, kicking those two games away. And I hated the way they played down the stretch. And I'm not feeling real good about where the Clippers are right now. Please talk me out of that. Oh, I don't think I can, uh, because I'm going to say that this wasn't just a game one thing. The Clippers, yes, their record was fine and good, but if you were watching the Clippers day in and day out for the last month, you would have seen that they have not played their best basketball in a minute, mostly because they just haven't been healthy and they haven't had their guys on the court together. A lot of the games that they were pulling out, and I credit Ty Lue a lot, was basically pulled out by role players like, Luke Kennard, Terrence Mann, these guys really stepping up and playing big and winning games that they probably shouldn't have been in 
or should have won. And going into the playoffs, I mean, they did not have Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Serge Ibaka, Patrick Beverly, Rajon Rondo all on the floor together to really form this continuity and chemistry that they needed going into the playoffs. And especially the way they rested guys at the end um, and the way it finished, you know, Ty will say, hey, I'll take health over Russ any day. And I would agree with him on that. But I just was not confident about the Clippers going into that game one, coming out looking incredible. They weren't, they weren't keeping their players from getting injured. I mean, that well, was an ancillary benefit. They were tanking the games. Yes, that, but also I will say this. It has to be noted that their two stars, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, are dealing with foot injuries well, that, that is dealing a fair with all point. season long. And so, you know, Kawhi Leonard, he missed nine out of ten games, came back for six games, really was just kind of pacing himself for those six games, sat out the final two. He did admit that this is a foot injury he's got, he has been playing with all season. It's not going to go away. Paul George, same thing with his toe. Uh, he has at times lacked explosion and not looked good. Um, and I'm sure the toe is affecting him. And so, you know, I think they did have to kind of rest those two guys. But I think this is what you're seeing now, the quality of basketball. They just haven't looked sharp now for over a month. You know, what? I, I, you know, after watching that game and digesting a little bit, if, if I was the front office in Los Angeles, I'd be disappointed that there was not a Terrence Mann sighting. I, I don't know why, like the guy has been one of your better reserves since the all-star break and played 14 seconds. And then I saw Ty Lue's comments today. They asked if he was going to, if we were going to see him in, in game two. And he was like, we'll see. Yeah. Like, like you got to throw him out there. You know, you, you got, he, he gives you a little bit of a different, you know, fresh legs, different dynamic here. And, and I would be, I, you know, it's like you, you almost treated like game one, like it was a game seven where you, you play like, you know, eight or nine guys. Like you got to see what you got in some of your younger players or, you, or you'll never know what you have. Yeah, I think it's a little crazy that we're talking about this with Terrence Mann, but that is how much he's elevated his game this season, that he provides them with a different type of energy. Outside of Rajon Rondo, Terrence Mann is the only guy that can push the pace for them. He rebounds the ball, and then he'll push it up. They don't really have that. Um, If Kawhi Leonard or PG rebounds the ball, they kind of walk it up. Terrence Mann and Rajon Rondo are the only guys that can push the pace for them. And I'm not saying the Clippers have to play at a high pace. We know how good they can be uh, just moving the ball, and they can be the best three-point shooting team in the league at the slowest pace. But he gives you a different type of energy. He can defend. He can play multiple positions. I think Ty Lue just, it's weird. He trusted his bench and his role players leading up into the playoffs. And then it was like game one, he was only going to trust his veterans. I have to say, Bobby, that I've been watching Paul George, I think, for 11 years now. I think his rookie year was 9-10, I think. Um, I've, you know, covered him extensively throughout his career. I continue to be amazed by how good he can play. Like he continue, I'm like I can, I'm frequently like, wow, Paul George is playing great, and I'm and I continue to be blown away and taken aback by how bad he can play. Like there are times where I just cannot believe how bad he's playing, and there are not many players I can say that about. Um, the variance on his output, and like Ohm could be right, like maybe this injury he's having is causing a, a problem. 
and it's affecting him. But the variance on the way this guy plays, I mean, it's it's hard to take sometimes. And I know that you know Lakers fans feel that a little bit with Anthony Davis, um, and that has been a, a, a knock on him at times in his career that he's a bit up and down. But um, you know, it's it's hard it's hard to to understand how Paul George can be can be that type of player. And I totally get why his fans and the, the fans of the teams he's played on get exacerbated at times. Well, and like it or not, I mean, Paul George is, gets it will get judged by the playoffs. I mean, I don't care what he does during the regular season. I mean, basically the same, the same thing we're saying about Giannis, you know, what these guys doing during the regular season for for us, it doesn't matter until you, until you deliver. And, and you're right, Brian, it's kind of like, it's either the real good or the real bad. It's, there's really nothing in between there. And um, it, it's, it's like when you look at this Clipper team and it's still only one game, it's like, let's play the, the scenario where let's say they do not, they do lose to Dallas. And it's like, what else can you do? Right? Like what else do you, I mean, you've, you've locked up, Paul George for his long-term extension. You've got Kawhi kind of sitting in the in the in the woods here for uh, his this player option here, but that rest of that roster is is locked in here, uh, and you've traded all your draft picks away. So then that's why it bothered me last year when when Paul came out and basically said made it sound like their window was wide open after they lost to Denver, where. Um, you know we'll be back. It's a, you know or basically you know the windows open the windows. The window is never open. Like even <laughs> yeah. in even in Utah, with with Mitchell and, and Gobert just signing these contracts, things change quickly in this league. I mean, like you can go from the number one seed to like, you know, fighting to get into the plan, and then all of a sudden we're talking about guys stuck on these like bad contracts and 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 teams stuck in on this mediocre um, uh, treadmill here. So. It's going to be fascinating to, to follow this team uh, in in this round because um, I'm interested to see who you know who guards Luca. Like that's that's going to be the, the, well, the interesting it wasn't thing. Kawhi almost at all in game one. You know they just didn't use him on him, and um, you know and this is the one thing like you know and it's you know player health is just very hard to judge. It's not it's not our knees, our feet, our you know our ankles. It's just hard, but. You know, Kawhi is getting up there now, and he's he's been he just deals with injuries all the time. You know, like maybe he's just going to be banged up the rest of his career. You know what's funny um, is that every time Kawhi falls down, it's like the heaviest fall that I can remember ever seeing for a player of his size, like not a center. You know what I mean? Like every time he falls down, I mentioned this to another writer on Press Row on Sunday, on Sunday during the game, because he took this one spill. And I was like, every time Kawhi falls down, it's like a load of bricks that just falls down. And it's hard for him to get up. And you never know if he's hurt. And I'll say this, the, the way he started this game, he looked as strong and as energetic and as fresh as I've seen him in over a month, probably because of the foot issue and probably because he rested. But then you saw him in the fourth quarter start to run out of gas a little bit. And people were asking me, well, why don't they put Kawhi Leonard on Luka Doncic more? And he, there were a few times he was on there, and then he got switched off due to switches. And don't get me started in the whole NBA switching these days because Bobby knows I'm old school. And I like <laughs> to see my lockdown defense, stay on a guy and fight through a pick. But, you know, 
to be fair to Paul George, he started off one for seven, but he had 10 points in the fourth quarter. He did miss a quick three that, w- that would have tied the game when they were down three. But Kawhi Leonard's the guy who struggled in the fourth quarter. His shot looked kind of short. He had this 20-footer that he misses normally from the sweet spot. It was short. So Kawhi ran out of gas, and I kind of get this. I, I asked Nick Nurse this two weeks ago when Toronto was in town, and I said, hey, what did you learn about Kawhi in the playoffs that you didn't know about him coaching him in the regular season? And he was like, you know, I, I learned that Kawhi will tell you in the playoff game, in the fourth quarter, I've got five good minutes left in me in the fourth quarter. You need to rest me until the five-minute mark and then bring me in, and I'll give you everything I got. And I thought that was really interesting. I get it. That year he was really managing his body and his leg. Right. And, and, but I, that's why I really think Ty Lue cannot afford to put Kawhi Leonard on Luka Doncic. Now, I will say this, because Tim McMahon asked him this the other day. Ty Lue said, you know, we'll see. You might get what, you, what you're asking for as far as Kawhi on Luka. I think Ty might start with Kawhi on Luka in game one, uh, game two. We're not surprised because he needs to set a tone right away. He didn't like the way the Clippers started that game in game one, and maybe they start off against Luka real quick for Kawhi, and then they use Kawhi in the fourth quarter on Luka if need be, just to set that tone of physicality, to set that tone for the rest of the team to follow in game two. I mean, I don't... I'm not... Uh, again, I'm not going to sit here and say a team being down 2-0 is like the end of a series. But considering what happened to the Clippers last year when things got sideways and they just folded, I would not want to be down 0-2 in the first round going back to Dallas. Wendy, so, this would be a cumulative effect. This would be their fifth straight playoff loss if they were to lose game two. I mean, group, for the most I mean, part. I mean, and, and, you know, look, they shot the ball terribly. I mean, you figure you're going to shoot the ball better. But, you know, Luca is so good that he's one of these guys that is just so good that he can take a game or two in a series and just manipulate it and control it in just a way where he wins the game for you. And Kawhi can do that too, but I don't know if he can do it as much right now. So you got to figure, you know, and, and this this game was not really that. I mean, Luca played really well but he wasn't like otherworldly. You got to figure there's one of those performances is, is coming. And so you got to build yourself a cushion for when Luca does something like that. And, and when that, one other thing, Wendy, that you just mentioned that really kind of got me thinking was like, who's working harder to get their offense and get their points? Kawhi Leonard or Luka Doncic? It's Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard looked like he looks like he has to work very hard to get his mid range game going and all that stuff. Luca, it's a lot easier for him to score points. Yeah. And Dallas's bench has just proven to be, you know, I, I, I you know, I've said this before. Like I, I thought the Clippers were just built so well last year. It turns out just not to be true. And, you know, Dallas's bench, you know, they, they can do stuff off that bench. You know, the sixth man of the year came out uh, today, uh, Jordan Clarkson winning, and uh, Joe Ingles coming in second, so Jazz guys finish one two. But the the, the Mavericks had you know guys who finished uh, four or five. Derrick Rose finished third. Um, Jalen Brunson was uh, fourth, and I'm pretty sure Tim Hardaway was was it Tim Hardaway fifth? Um, but the uh, the 
the Mavericks, you know, they have some firepower. And, I mean, they're a flawed team. But, uh, Bobby, I mean, check those uh, check those shorts if um, – <laughs> If it's if it's O two, and you know Dallas has to know that they have to smell that. You're right, Brian. Tim Hardaway finished fifth, uh, and yeah. Jalen Brunson was fourth. And it's funny, like we we talk about Dallas as one of those teams with cap space this off season, and it's like like I, I feel like Tim Hardaway's in the corner saying, "Well, don't forget about me." <laughs> you know, like I'm part of this. I'm part of this group and, you know, to, to create that room, he's, he'd probably have to be the, the odd man out, but um, they've got a lot of these players that just know their roles, right? Whether it's Brunson or Dorian Finney-Smith, Kleber, um, you know, you know, even Josh Richardson who pouted a little bit coming off the bench now kind of basically said like, you know, it's for the betterment of the, I'll, I'll do what's best for the team. And I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's not happy about it, but, um, and I've always said, you know, Porzingis was always the X factor. Like Luca could be as great as he can, as he's been and stuff, but a healthy Porzingis is the X factor as far as how far this, um, this, uh, that Dallas team goes. And I mean, if you, if you go down, if you go up to, oh, going to Dallas, I don't know if you get back to LA. I don't know how mentally Man. tough the group is in MLA to uh, to to do that. They they need a they need a dominating performance to reset themselves. Um, and they may get it. They may very well get it. I mean, this team wasn't that long ago that they were on a, a nice winning streak, and um, you know they may get it. But it's just it's hard to have confidence in them. It's just, uh, it's hard to have confidence in it. The problem is that's for so many people, they just cannot wipe that taste out of their mouths from the, from the way things ended the bubble. I mean, that's the thing about Paul George. Like I said, he had 10 points in the fourth quarter, but everybody, you know, what was trending on Twitter was pandemic P and, you know, people still posting <laughs> gifs about, you know, Paul missing that shot off the side of the backboard and because he started off one for seven. So, and the Clippers know this, they know the narrative won't change until they change it. And that's why, like, we've been asking Ty Lue and all these guys, like, are you guys feeling the pressure? What about the pressure in the playoffs? And, of course, Ty Lue is trying to, you know, be the tough guy and say, like, look, I'm confident. Pressure is basically, you know, trying to figure out how you're going to pay the bills, how you're going to put food on the table. It's not basketball, but we know this. I know, team- but none of those guys have that pressure now. Yeah. I, I understand. I, and I understand that some of them came from meager circumstances and they had pressure you know, as children, I understand all that. I'm not dismissing that, but that's a cop-out answer when a guy says that. Of course they feel pressure. Of yeah. course they do. Well, Ty, you, know what, you know what pressure would have been we, if this was these were best of five series? <laughs> no, no, those are pressure. <laughs> you know, losing a game one at home Ooh. in a best of five series, that's oh, pressure. I mean, B-Marks knows this. My favorite all-time game five first round was against Indiana with the Nets. That ridiculous right. triple overtime, Reggie Miller hitting down dagger after dagger. I mean, I it's one of the best games I ever covered in my life. And they, and they changed the, and it went to the, the following year, went back to be, and went to best of seven in the playoffs. And they changed the instant replay rule because the Reggie yeah. shot should have been this, you know, discounted. But that's pressure losing game one at home in a best of five and having to, you know, now you're bait, you're a win and win you're in a, a winner go home if you don't get game two. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's my other one of my other favorite sayings, and it's already happening as far as cliches. I, I think I saw it a couple of times over the weekend. Um, when a when a team loses a playoff game, uh, or even if they win, but it's particularly when they lose, especially early in playoff series, though it doesn't matter the round. Um, the other team always came out more aggressive. This, I mean, I have been listening to this quote for twenty years now. And all of these, and I, and I, I mean, I suppose you could go back digging into stories, and maybe produce something from two thousand five, where I, where I wrote it down. But as soon as a player on a losing team says they came out more aggressive, I want to throw my pen into the air. Because, you know what a good, you know what a response would be, Brian. A better response if the if the losing team would just come out and say, "Well, the other coach had a better game plan." <laughs> <laughs> But like what that one um, that one gets under your skin more than it's the first to four, it's just game one. It's just one yeah, game. I know, I know that's true. But I mean, that's you know, yeah, that's sort of mindless. This, you know, I I have not watched the I have not seen the quotes yet from from uh, post game in Milwaukee tonight. But I promise you somebody, if not five people in that heat locker room, you know, or whatever they're doing, the podium or whatever is going to say, well, the bucks came out with more, came out more aggressive. It is an absolute staple in the, uh, in the postseason. Okay. Oh, I wanted to ask you before we go about the Lakers and the Suns. um, Scale of one to ten, what should the Lakers' concern level be about being down 0-1 to to Phoenix? Mm. Um, I, you know, I would say a five. I think they're always going to think that they can turn it on, which is always dangerous. But because they're the defending champs and because they have LeBron and AD, I don't think they're super concerned. But what I think. You know, I'm not I'm not as bothered by the result of them losing game one because they did it last year in the first two rounds and then rebounded nicely and won the next four games. It's Anthony Davis's play that really kind of concerns me more because he was so passive. He wasn't dominant, um, you know, between DeAndre Ayton now playing him, but DeAndre Ayton out rebounding by himself, LeBron and AD combined. I mean, Devin Booker's going to get his. But it's DeAndre Ayton that you can't have going ten for eleven and well, having four rebounds and LeBron. I just don't. I, I don't think DeAndre Ayton can play better in his first playoffs. He was ten of eleven with what? How many rebounds did he have? Sixteen. Yeah, he's ten of eleven with sixteen boards, ten eleven shooting. I don't think he can play better than that, and I'm not sure Anthony Davis can play worse than he played. The other thing too, it, maybe this is one thing that I am totally overlooking and not giving enough credit is is how much Monty knows AD's game and AD's mind. And maybe Monty has an advantage there. I mean, listen, I like what AD said post-game where he was like, put it on me. Um, We're not going to win a game, let alone a series, if I play like this. And I would expect Anthony Davis to come out dominant bubble AD that we saw in game two. But I don't know. Maybe Monty knows what he's doing with AD. Only 90 points that they scored. The Lakers' offense is... It's a it's a huge weak spot. They just, you know, some nights I know they're hot, but a lot of nights they just don't score. Bobby, what's your concern level? What would it be for the Lakers? Um, you know, one to ten. 
after that uh, after that showing in game one against Phoenix? I would say a four just because it, I mean, every one of these games is just, it's, it, it's its own little series within a game and, you know, they might come out on in, in a game two and, um, you know, play at a high level. And then you go back to LA for game three, which is tied. And now we're right. talking about Phoenix trying to steal a game, but, but here's the thing. And, and, I, I hate do I hate doing the picks, you know, the series picks that we have to do because <laughs> well, like no, I just don't do them. Be, because what happens is that when you when you pick wrong, then you get humiliated by like the social media people from that team, right? Yes, like, that's yes. right. So I am the only one who picked Phoenix out of our ESPN colleagues. There were eighteen people, and I was the only one here. And and the reason why I I did it is because I felt all along. That and maybe things will change with the COVID restrictions and allowing people that the LA market has, pro- I think, is the fewest people, the fewest amount of people that can attend a game, right? Yep. I just felt all along that if, if Phoenix lost a game one or a game two, it's easier for them to steal a game three or four on a road. They're not playing in front of 16 or 17,000 people, you know, it's almost like it's not a bubble environment, but. It's it's you know the young kids can go on the road and and grab a game if if they had to here and um and I didn't think Phoenix played great I thought they I, played well enough I agree that that to me would be my my I don't say a red light but the orange light for the Lakers is DeAndre Aiden played his ass off Booker made some shots uh you know Booker had great moments in the game I mean you know it was a it was a probably a, uh, an A minus game from Booker. I mean, he can play better, but um, it wasn't like they were untouchable. They, they only scored 99 points. Chris Paul played with one arm for most of the game. Um, I, my expectation is that, you know, he had a stinger and my expectation is after getting treatment for two days, he'll be much better. But, you know, the Lakers allowed 99 points on the road. I mean, that's gotta be a victory. And they didn't get it. And and Bobby, my thing would be, and I don't doubt him. I mean, I think he can do it. But you know, LeBron's going to have to to take one of the one like a game and a half out of this series. I think by just being LeBron. And you know, he's got dozens of those pelts on his wall. I mean, I have no doubt he can do it. But like, they need him. Like, they don't have the luxury. On most nights now, you know, on the nights when they hit their threes, which is like one out of every seven games, everything's grand. But they're going to need LeBron to carry them home to a game, especially if AD is not top of his. And I just don't know where LeBron can, how much he can give on that ankle. I mean, I'm not doubting him again, but it's it's a question mark to me. And um, just seeing, you know, Seeing the betting markets and how much of an underdog Phoenix was, I was like, you know, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to bet against LeBron, but, but, boy, I mean, Phoenix coming in as the underdog as a two seed—that's ridiculous. And I think it already showed. Like, the Lakers played like a seven seed in that opener. They, LeBron, you know, LeBron has to do so much for that team, like you said. And so, you know how LeBron always says game one is a feel it out game for him. He's right. And he's right. Yeah, he is. But they, I don't know what their margin of error, their margin of error feels a little thinner. You know, you can't have Kyle Kuzma go, you know, scoreless, basically. Uh, KCP missed seven threes, I think. Probably what, six of them were probably good looks. He needs to make a few more of those. 
But I think he just he needs Anthony Davis to be dominant. You know, he really does because LeBron is not hundred percent. He's probably where well, I don't know where you think he may be at, but um, he isn't close to it. And you're right. I think he's LeBron's going to have to do even more because he needs Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis cannot score 13 points. He cannot be passive. He cannot wait and see what the defense is going to do. He has. They to came him. out more aggressive. <laughs> you know what? I'd be interested if if the Lakers do get down 2-0. If we if we if we don't see uh, Andre Drummond at, for the rest of the series, I, I would be surprised. I mean, I think if you get down 2-0, you're going to be making. It'd be surprised for me to roll out that same lineup with with Drummond and Davis on the on the court. I mean, you're almost kind of like you know DefCon four. Well, Frank, Frank Vogel got asked about that today, and he basically said, you know, he didn't make any com- any you know confirmed commitment, but he kind of implied that their small lineup didn't perform that well. But you know, there, here's the reality about Anthony Davis. You know, I've just made fun of the whole aggressive thing, but there are times where Anthony Davis is a wallflower. It has been happening since he was at Kentucky, and probably happening even before that, when before his growth spurt. There is times and there are games where he just doesn't bring it. He is not aggressive, to use that term. And I remember last year when after they won the championship, LeBron describing how one of the things that he had to do this year was really push AD to bring it night after night. I mean, and, and, and he was in a lot of ways referring to pushing through injuries. But this is one thing that AD has an issue with is that he doesn't always play max power. And by the way, that is also DeAndre Ayton's. Uh, one of his afflictions is that some nights he looks like he's going to be a hall of famer and other nights he gets steamrolled. Um, and, you know, Phoenix fans will tell you about that. They have seen it back and forth. So uh, watching that game in game one where Aiton was awesome and, and, and Davis was not, it could very easily flip around, but Ohm, you are right. The margin for error, you know, again, there will be games where they're hitting their threes and AD is playing well and LeBron is, feeling spry where they may win uh, in this series. They may blast the Suns off the court, but um, I'm not sure what they can count on. And, you know, AD, assuming that he's okay on that leg, he he is going to have to play at a super high level. Um, and I don't think he had that mindset in game one. And that's – the Lakers fans have got to be very frustrated about it, but that is kind of the nature of who he is. They're going to have to fight it. And that's something I think we're going to see in this series. Ol. Look, he can't float. And that's the one thing I thought was when he won the championship. And I remember looking at his face after the, in the waning seconds of that game against the heat. And I thought you could see like, Hey, he's been validated. He finally arrived. Even though he had been a superstar, he won the championship and you were like, okay, now Anthony Davis knows what it takes to win it all. This may unlock the monster in him even more. Uh, that he knows once playoff time comes, he can turn it on. He knows what it takes to win. He's now had a full season with LeBron. And then we go through this in game one. And now we're going to go through it again, where it's going to be like, you know, you can tell LeBron was saying in that post game when they're asking about Anthony Davis, he was like, yeah, I heard what AD said. And when AD comes and plays, we're the Lakers. And so it was like he was reinforcing that. To yeah. tell Anthony Davis, we need you. I imagine what he says behind this. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and Bobby, that's the thing about like, Drummond. Like one of the things that they may have to do to force Anthony Davis to be more physical, to be more aggressive, 
<laughs> is to play big and play him at center and not give him the choice and say, okay, you're playing against Aiden. you got to bring it. Let's go. And, um, you know, he wouldn't be the first coach to think that the, that uh, Andre George or Andre uh, Drummond may not be the best option. It's, it's happened before. Yeah, it would probably be what third or fourth coach, <laughs> as far as with uh, with, with Andre Drummond. Yeah, and and you're right. I mean, that might be the that might be the the lone decision that they have left is to put put uh, Davis at center. All right, well, guys, we're off and running. Um, some surprises so far. We'll see where we are. I mean, every single day there's uh, we've got some drama. Who knows what the rest of the week will tell us? Thank you to Ohm. Thank you to Bobby. Thank you to Tony, our producer. Thank you for listening, and uh, we're going to talk to you later in the week. <laughs>